It's Monday morning. I'm Harry Siegel uh, here in Brooklyn with Professor Christina Greer. Hello. Hello. Good morning. And good morning. Special guest uh, joining us right at the start and throughout this episode, senior reporter at the city, uh, Josefa Velasquez. Hello. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me on on this eventful week. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So I was just peeking at your Twitter feed where I believe in the last uh, hour you've reported that uh, Governor Cuomo is calling state lawmakers to say that they shouldn't support the calls for his resignation because that could stymie Attorney General Tish James' independent investigation of him, which is a really sort of galaxy brand. Uh, everyone investigating me, everyone concerned about my actions, please hold off. Uh, so that we can have a fair investigation of my actions, and now is calling female lawmakers again, uh, according to your Twitter feed. I'm guessing more news coming soon at the uh, at the city is uh, um, pushing them to uh, to sign a statement um, that he's written uh, to that effect. Um, the, the, the please don't do anything about me now because that would undermine uh, the AG. So some of our listeners are really immersed in this. Some of them, no less. You have spent. Basically, your adult life covering Andrew Cuomo. Um, For the listeners who just came from Mars, who is this man? Why has he been so dominant for the last decade? And why um, involving bridges, uh, involving nursing homes, involving uh, women in the workplace, is he in so much trouble now? Sure. So uh, Andrew Cuomo has been the governor of New York for, what, the last 10 years. Before that, he was the attorney general. He is the eldest son of our former governor, Mario Cuomo. So basically, the Cuomo dynasty has been the ruling class of New York for a generation plus. Um, And as you said, I've covered him for all of my adult life, which makes me very depressed. Uh, But for those who haven't been following along, you know, the last year was sort of the introduction of Andrew Cuomo to the general public. Uh, his COVID briefings became part of the pandemic news cycle. Uh, I think there was lack of federal leadership. So everyone started watching Andrew Cuomo's 11 o'clock press conferences uh, to quell their concerns over you know, what was happening, not only in New York, but in the country, really. Uh And over the last couple of weeks, you know, a series of things sort of happened all at once. Uh, First, it was his handling of the uh, nursing home deaths during the pandemic uh, came under scrutiny. Uh, The Cuomo administration had underreported initially how many people uh, had died in nursing homes because there was the distinction of did they die in the nursing home or did they die in the hospital after being transferred to a nursing home? And as people were and lawmakers were calling him out over that, the allegations emerged of his sort of bullying behavior, which are not unknown to everyone who sort of follows Albany and who knows Andrew Cuomo. Um, and with that were the first allegations of a toxic workplace environment, which then ballooned to sexual harassment and harassment as a whole. Um, at the hands of the governor. So now we're up to five women that have uh, accused the governor of acting inappropriately. I think four of them uh, were former aides to him, you know, some going back to 
the early 2000s up until the peak of the pandemic. Uh, so it's fairly recently. So over the weekend, <laughs> for those of us who were able to have a weekend, we saw the Senate Majority Leader, Andrea Stewart-Cousins, uh, called pretty, um, I thought it was a full-throttle uh, statement calling for the governor's resignation. Not surprisingly, uh, Carl Hastie's came second. He did not call for resignation. He just said he concurred with his colleague, uh, Stuart Cousins. Uh, there's some gender dynamics there where men come second and, and not as forceful on these things, but that's a different episode. And when Andrea Stewart Cousins was asked by the folks at New York One, when she had talked to the mayor, she said that, or the governor, she said they had spoken, say, a few weeks ago about COVID-related things. And so um, that's a pretty, pretty solid statement to come out and call for the governor's resignation. I personally don't think that the governor is going to resign. The governor has said as much, um, largely because I just don't know how many people outside of Albany, A, are really paying attention and B, if they think that these allegations are as bad as, as many of us believe them to be. So is it? are you able to kind of disassociate yourself kind of from the Albany bubble that you're in with some projections as to what you think Governor Cuomo will do? I've always said he's raised in captivity. He knows Albany better than anyone. He knows New York better than anyone. I mean, he's been there since he was 19. He's ruled there since he was roughly 19 years old. So I'm trying to detangle kind of all of us who are watching and reading and and sort of interpreting every single statement with the general public who still sees the CNN Cuomo, the pal around with his brother on TV Cuomo, Mr. I took charge in the summer when we had no leadership on the federal level Cuomo. Some people like that brash kind of New York machismo from a distance. Any feelings on that? See, I think if all of this were to have happened a month ago, maybe two months ago, it would have not really caused any ripples or concerns. Um, I think the difference in all of this was Joe Biden having his press secretary resign over his berating of a reporter. Mm. Um, I think that sort of set the stage of like, here is the standard for Democrats. We're not going to take toxic behavior and accept it. And I think that sort of set the stage for what we're seeing now. You know, you had this press aide to Biden uh, resign over his inappropriate comments to a reporter. And I think, you know, there was an inflection point where it was, oh, we get these calls all the time. They're not that strange. Um, mm. Where, you know, you get insults lobbed at you and threats. And, you know, some of my peers ask me, like, well, how do you deal with them? And I'm just like, I don't care. Like, if I see someone calling me, like, my barometer for caring about things is just, like, non-existent. Like, mm -hmm. if you're going to scream at me, what are you doing screaming at someone? Like, you've already lost. Right. Um, you're out of control. <laughs> yeah. Like if you're raising your voice at someone, like how do you not laugh at that? Um, so I think that was the thing that set the stage for what we're seeing now. Um, you know, I do think that it was a series of events that got us there. I think it was the Biden press aide resigning. Then it was uh, Ron Kim telling CNN about this threatening phone call that he got from the governor himself, asking him to claim that the New York Post misquoted him. 
And that was that's right after the, the conference call, right? Where, where so Melissa it DeRosa, happened. Yeah. Right. So the sequence of events here is really fascinating. And I think it's something to examine. Like the Cuomo administration knew this story was going to be published. Uh, Cuomo calls, you know, an Asian lawmaker as there is a spat of Asian hate crimes happening um, and threatens him. The governor's office tried to preempt that by having their own phone call sort of laying out where Ron Kim went wrong and instead proved Ron Kim's point that the governor is a bully and that he was threatening them. Uh, Cuomo then went on to make some assertions that there was a play to play scheme and everyone just started scratching their head. as like, what the hell's going on here? Um, and I think Ron Kim sort of opened the door for this examination of a toxic workplace environment. So like he sort of set the foundation. Then after that, it was, um, another one of Cuomo's former press aides, Lindsay Boylan came out with her allegations that Cuomo had raised a toxic workplace environment. She had charged that she had sexually harassed her. Um, and we didn't, that was in December. We didn't really hear details about what happened there. And then, Things started sort of happening quickly last month where uh, Lindsay Boylan came forward with her story and said, the governor forcibly kissed me. He made these remarks on a plane. Um, then another Cuomo press aide, Charlotte Bennett, said that the governor had asked her about her sex life and whether or not she'd be interested in an older boyfriend. Um, and a lot of these things, I think, over the last week, weekend, now we're up to five women that have uh, said these things about the governor. Um, is a pattern of behavior of the abuse of power and what happens to men who are elevated into these roles. And, you know, I think as a lot of people have said, like the allegations themselves are bad, but it's the pattern of abusive behavior that is jarring to see. Um, and I always use my mom and my family as like a bellwether test because like my mom's a housekeeper. She does not care about the Albany world. Like when something permeates to her level is when I realize that it is penetrated to like the quote unquote normal public. And she calls me up saying like, I can't believe this is happening to Andrew Cuomo. Why does this keep happening to all these men that have power? And that's when I realized, okay, it's permeating enough. Um, but the thing that's been really shocking for me to see, at least on my like Twitter feed and my email, is that there is a steady stream of people that think that this, there's like this mass conspiracy by Republicans to take down Andrew Cuomo. Republicans in New York wish they could do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I, I've always said that like Andrew Cuomo is this person because he's been in Albany so long. He knows every nook and cranny. This is why... I think it's fascinating to me and so many others where it's just, has he been in power so long? He, I know he knows that people can't stand him, but has he lost his grip on just how powerful he is? I mean, that book that came out in October with the victory lap of I conquered COVID while we still have thousands of deaths on a weekly basis was, you know, sort of, one of the bridges too far. Um, Ron Kim speaking out sort of, you know, in my circles, we talked about kind of the Hannibal Burris moment where it's just like, quote unquote, everyone knew about Cosby and his inappropriate behavior. 
So why does this kind of mid-level comedian make a joke at a random comedy club and all of a sudden it's the thing that brings down Bill Cosby? It's like Ron Kim doesn't have a national profile. Many people outside of his district don't even know who he is. So for him to make this comment and for it to catch fire and sort of be a, a major domino in this, this kind of storm that Andrew Cuomo finds himself in is pretty fascinating. I just think that how does Andrew Cuomo... You know, for me, I just think it's time. Like, just ride it out. Ride it out like Northam did it, right? I mean, like, you know, I think that there still are a lot of moderate Democrats who are just like, we can't keep taking down Democrats for bad behavior when the Republicans don't seem to get taken down and they don't seem to care. So why should we do this? Why are we eating our own people? You know, they keep bringing up Franken. So how is this somewhat different um, amongst, it it seems like moderate moderate Democrats who kind of feel that way? And and how likely are the is the legislature and the Democrats who control the legislature to actually bring down Cuomo, who says, hey, you've got to do a budget with me and is saying, I'm not leaving. I don't care what you're calling for, Andrea Stewart Cousins. Uh, if you want me out, you're going to have to impeach me, saying, you know, call my bluff, call my bluff. Is, is there a chance his bluff is actually going to get called? Like, how do you see this proceeding? <laughs> I took yesterday's press conference as that scene in The Wolf of Wall Street where Leonardo DiCaprio is sort of pounding his chest, being like, I'm not leaving. Um, and, you know, spoiler alerts, he leaves. Uh, but I think that the difference is here is that you have had a governor for the last decade who has not made friends and allies along the way. And I think that's important to point out. The governor for the last decade has ruled by intimidation and fear. You know, he does have these really uh, deep-pocketed allies on his side, but the friends he has are few and far between. So I think everyone wants to be the person that jabs him when he's at his weakest point. Um, Also, the Cuomo administration knows how to run an Albany playbook. They know the New York press corps. You're starting to get national reporters involved in this. People who have the bandwidth, who have sort of more, who are able to see the bigger picture while reporters like me are still enmeshed in all of this. And the Albany playbook does not do well nationally. You cannot run the same sort of interference and um, trying to coerce lawmakers on your side uh, when you're dealing with, you know, the national press and national scrutiny on this. And I think what started out as like a s- small thing is now sm- snowballing into bigger and bigger, uh, a bigger and bigger issue for the governor. Um, and I don't think this is the end of it. There's going to be more stories written about this, and there's going to be a real examination of Andrew Cuomo's tenure as governor. Um, the rumor mill says that there is a bunch of uh, national reporters working on big stories right now that are supposed to pop uh, in the coming week. And those might be earth shattering for the governor. I think as political reporters, we sort of make the decision of what to cover and what not to cover. Um, you know, I go back to the Sandra Lee Cuomo breakup. All of the Albany reporters knew about that breakup months and months and months before mm-hmm. everyone wrote about it. And we all just deemed, okay, we're not going to write about this because this is his personal life. It doesn't interfere with his ability to co- to govern. So it's off limits. You know, it's not important to the 
budget is not important to you know the people of New York. It is they broke up. It's not a big deal. Um, and I think a lot of the behavior that we've been that's been under scrutiny is behavior that's been sort of normalized in Albany. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just the trade off of working for him. So I do think it's different in that whenever the legislature was sidelined over the last year during the pandemic, all of the things that happened in New York, all of the good things, bad things were on Andrew Cuomo and no one likes to see a hero fall more than the people that he hurt along the way. So I think that's where it might be different. So I was just wondering about the budget because I mean, I would think that this puts the legislature uh, in a solid position, I guess. Hopefully a unifying position to to see that the governor's weakened. Um, you know, I think he's got a, I think Andrew Cuomo has a touch of like Clintonista problem where it's like, you think you have more friends than you actually do. It's just people who didn't want to cross you. But if there's a, if there's a stronger team, <laughs> they'll gladly jump on it. So how do you think this plays out with the budget process? And I think also, I'm just curious as to what you think about, I feel like the magic bullet, not the magic bullet, but like one of the last powerful bullets that Andrew Cuomo has in his arsenal is to say, I'm not running in 2022. Let me change the news cycle. You all will scurry to look at Tish and Kathy and whomever else, you know, from the Senate or the legislature jumps in and that'll distract some of this, hopefully for him. Um, But he doesn't want to use that bullet too quickly. So what are what are your thoughts on those two things? The budget and kind of, I would say, like the nuclear option of like, I'm not going to run for my fourth term, which, you know, I keep saying it's been like a Greek tragedy. His father didn't work out in the fourth term. And some rando named Pataki came and sort of took his fourth term chances away from him. I'm, I was always wondering if this would be sort of like the Greek gods making you know, the son had the same fate as the father, where it's like, you do three terms, but that fourth one will not happen for you. Yeah, I mean, I think there was some sort of calculus that Andrea Stewart-Cousins had to make yesterday in calling for Cuomo's resignation. That significantly weakens him going into budget negotiations. But we also have to think about, like, budgets were used to, pre-Cuomo, budgets used to be late all the time. Did people mm-hmm. actually care about it? No, because you pass a series of like extender bills that keeps the lights on, keeps your garbage being picked up. It, you know, makes sure that the parks are open and that services are functioning. Um, and no one really cared. Uh, you know, I think the difference is that this governor has sort of made an on-time budget, which is on April 1, a hallmark and a cornerstone of his administration. Um, with that being said, New York, is facing economic issues that we might have not, we have not seen in what, two decades now? Uh, or a decade, I should say, um, with, because of the coronavirus pandemic. So, and this is where I think Cuomo has said and tried to intimidate or try to make his point that how can you go into a recovery? How can New York's economy be built back up without me? I have done balanced budgets. He has claimed that there is a surplus at several times um, and has put New York on track to be financially stable. How can you do this without him? But I do think that with 
both Andrea Stewart Cousins and Carl Hasty coming out and saying, you know, at least you cannot, this is a distraction you should consider resigning, um, puts Cuomo at a disadvantage in the budget room. People are going to be pushing him for bigger, bolder ideas, knowing that, you know, maybe the public opinion is turning on him and asking for cuts to be removed that Cuomo has himself asked for. Uh, so I think that's, there was a calculus that Andrea had to make yesterday in calling for his resignation. And uh, at this point, you know, the budget starts getting negotiated. Like it, the negotiations start around now. It's really like the five days leading up to April 1st where things solidify. Who knows if he's governor by then? I That's the thing that everyone's sort of trying to figure out. Like how much could you get in the budget with this governor as opposed to like Kathy Hochul as governor? So throughout this very rough couple of weeks for Cuomo now, he's continually tried to get ahead of things and I think has ended up further behind in the course of that. I would start with Melissa DeRosa on this conference call saying we would have loved to have got you the nursing home numbers, but we didn't because Trump is a bad man in effect. And I think with the idea, and I've seen Ron Kim saying this also, that, that if there hadn't been an immediate response to that, which there was, then that's something Cuomo points to later and says, you know what? They were implicitly on board with this. Even in this presser yesterday, right, he, he throws a last-minute presser over the phone because he knows that this statement is coming from Andrea Stewart-Cousin. So he gets out there first and says, the people elected me, not the politicians. And he says, let's use Jacob. The, uh, the ethics board, that's its own long, murky story he basically controls. He says they have lots of allegations. Maybe all of those should be public. He says this in a just asking, just kidding, hypothetical way. But there seems to be this clear threat there that, hey, if you push me out, I can take all of this down and all of you down with me. And I think a lot of people have mixed feelings about that, that it's a terrible thing for the governor to do. And simultaneously, there are lots of terrible people in Albany and people who, who's, uh, who, who's sins and around sexual harassment, for instance, probably at least match the governor's. Although, of course, you know, he passed this harassment law and presented himself as a hero of this. So there's more hypocrisy there. So I have two questions. The first is, how serious is Andrew Cuomo in his representations that if you take him down, he's going to tear everyone and everything down with him, do you think? It's plausible, for sure. I mean, Here's a man who has consolidated power in a way that I don't know that many governors have, New York or otherwise. Uh, and we're talking about the minutia of things. If you ask the MTA for a statement, that question is getting routed to the governor's office for approval. And, you know, I remember like through the years, every time I've had to write a story, I've reached out to an organization. They've been critical. You know, you call the governor's office for comment. And then five minutes later, you get a call from the organization saying, hey, we need to uh, retract that because uh, the governor's office called and threatened us. So if you have nothing to lose, why not burn it all down, salt the earth while you're on their way out? Um, but that I think would be the end of his political career. And this is someone, as Christia said, like he's been involved in politics since he was 19 years old. What else do you do once you have had all of this power? You've been involved in 
uh, politics. Where do you go from there? Do you just hide away like Eric Schneiderman and, uh, you know, do your own thing? He's not Elliot Spitzer. He doesn't have this like giant real estate portfolio that he could fall back on and all this family money. You know, does Andrew Cuomo move to Westchester and live out his days? I'd love to find out how much he got for his book advance, of course, which uh, one of the <laughs> things he's kept from us. But my last question for you here is, let's say for a minute that Andrew Cuomo does go away and he uh, tends, tends pasture upstate and just uh, reflects on his life and deeds and is quietly there. Mm. So deep breath. What does like a New York after Andrew Cuomo look like, man? And I'm asking this in part because a big part of Cuomo's case for himself has always been I'm the indispensable man. And hey, if not for me, at absolute best, you're going to have Bill de Blasio. And at absolute worst, you're going to have these crazy lady socialists. And they're going to they're gonna take everything over and it's going to be anarchy. I'm, I'm shorthanding, but I think that he's, he's been quite clear about this. Um, so so if, if he goes, where does New York State go? Do we instantly become California? Or, or where are our politics then? What would you expect? No, I don't think it'd be likely that a Republican governor would take control um, only because the number of Democrats obviously outsource a number of Republicans in New York. Um, and even if you get all of upstate to vote red, you know, you do have, what, 8.5 million people that live in New York City alone. Um, but at the same time, I don't know what New York without Andrew Cuomo looks like because he has just been part of my life since I was a teenager, like middle schooler versus attorney general and now governor. I, I don't know. I think that's where we might see a you know power vacuum. Um, but then again, you also have people like Tish James who've been around for quite some time. You have all of these staffers that understand how to keep the lights on and get things going. I think in some ways, Senate Republicans in New York pose the same question of, are you going to let these crazy liberals from New York City take over state government? And when that happened and you had all these Democrats uh, elected to the state Senate and Democratic control of the legislature, did anything really change? I right. mean, but see, isn't that like all abusive relationships where someone says like, you know, I can't leave you. You'd never be able to make it without me. You know, like I think that Andrew Cuomo has abused so many legislators, journalists and citizens for so long. It's like, you know, you I won't even let you imagine what a New York looks like without me. That's why we don't have term limits. And I'm just going to keep riding this wave out because it's like, so you want to be what in charge of yogurt and prisons? Like what? Like realistically, New York isn't that much of an interesting state. No offense. I love the state. But like, you know, we don't have a whole bunch of stuff going on. Like there's crafting that he was mealy mouthed on. Yeah, this is how this is how Mario Cuomo became uh, governor, <laughs> by the way, was was, was Ed Koch, who was going to be governor, talking to Playboy and being like, what's up with <laughs> what our state? Like, All they got is like, yogurt. Listen, I'm sorry. It's a whole bunch of, you know, like folks that don't like black people sometimes. Um, so, no, I get it. Not everyone upstate doesn't like black people. But it's it's a bunch of red. New York is a red state with some blue cities. And it doesn't have a lot of industry anymore. A lot of the farming is gone. You know, there's some good beer. I'll give you that. But, like, we've got a lot of prisons and some yogurt making. And, like, what else is our big to-do, right? So, okay, Andrew Cuomo, you've got a fiefdom over what? 
realistically, and you've been here since you were a child. He has risen from the ashes before. Like, let's not forget about his sort of Carl McCall, Patterson stuff. Like, he's had some racial instances that he's had to sort of come back from. So he's he's got some Phoenix in him, for sure. But I just think that at this age, this stage in the game, this new movement where younger women especially are like, um, you actually can't ask me about my sexual preferences and proclivities, right? I think that there's this other way of like, you can't call me on the phone and say, you'll destroy me. Who does that? Are we in a movie? Like, so I think in some ways he's seeing a state that has like moved past him and the threats of these, you know, women with ovaries that are going to like run the state to like charcoal blue isn't really scaring people in the way that it used to. I don't know if it'll make a change in the ballot box per se, but you know, like I don't think that some of his veiled threats are as effective anymore. But then again, I don't know because every person I talk to outside of New York loves this man because they only know CNN pal around with your brother, Andrew Cuomo. And so I'm curious as to whether or not that kind of national influence and pressure will sort of change some of the dynamics and help the waiting game for Andrew Cuomo just a little bit more. And so that's, there's that. And I, I do wonder what he would do if he doesn't run for reelection, because I mean, obviously he wouldn't work under Joe Biden, but then again, if he wants to be in politics, I mean, he's not, he's not Schneiderman. Schneiderman didn't grow up in politics. He's, he's not Spitzer where it's like Spitzer grew up in real estate. Andrew Cuomo knows, breathes, lives this. So to take that away from him, it's one thing if he leaves, but to take it away from him, I'm curious as to like the psychological impact of like being told that you were leaving politics before you were ready to leave politics. Yeah. And I think people are surprised when you, that they find out like, marijuana legalization is a huge issue in New York. We're not there yet. New York is not as progressive as everyone likes to think it is. No, you know, we're not California. We're not Colorado. Like New York is quote progressive in the way it was progressive like 10 years ago. Um, it's not progressive in the way that, you know, millennials and Gen Zers describe progressives right. now. I mean, you um, remember we were, we weren't the first on marriage equity, you know, Jersey right. has moved before us on marijuana, as is Maryland, as is Colorado. I mean, like, Cuomo always says, we're the first big, he loves to say, we're the first big state to do something, which means we're the right. 17th to do it. Like, we're always behind the times. And he's the one man IDC. He's the one that holds up the show. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, you made a good point that, like, New York and the progressive party and the progressive wing of Democrats are moving past Andrew Cuomo. Like they're moving past, uh, you know, Gen Xers who are white men. What is what he did, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago is not enough for, you know, the party. Now you have all of these, uh, teenagers who are going to be voting for the first time in a post 9 11 world. You have all these millennials who have gone through, like, I mean, tragedies, you know, watching people die on 9-11 and that being the norm, having a major financial crisis, having gone through a pandemic, like all these things before we've like reached our 30s. So I think at the same time, you do have a governor who's become increasingly isolated and does not listen to people outside of his inner circle, which are like white, affluent 
and sometimes women, sometimes men, but like white and affluent, they don't come from working class. Um, they don't understand what it's like to be a quote unquote normal person because they've grown up in this political sphere. Uh, but is that enough in like a red state? In a red state? Like New York's a red state. Yeah. It just I has mean, blue cities. I think that's where someone is going to find a difficult time in trying to find wiggle room there. You know, I read a story last week that like Bill de Blasio's eyeing a run for governor. And I was like, are you kidding? Like Senate Republicans literally kept control of the state Senate because they ran a campaign on Bill de Blasio. Uh, He is not going to get elected in New York City, let alone New York State. I mean, let's be real. Like, keep it one so, million. Yeah. So I think there is room for you know someone to come in new, but you're gonna have to get like a whole host of weird bedfellows to get that person elected. You have to get suburbanites from Long Island who are moderate Democrats slash tend to lean Republican at some point, and then upstate. Like, yeah, you have major cities upstate that are blue, but like the surrounding areas, there's farms. Like there, there's places in New York, there's more farms or there was more cows than people. And there are also places in New York that I wouldn't go to during the daytime, let alone at night. Like, you know, we know what this country is. I mean, we can look at the, the data from 2016 and 2020 and we know we've got a lot of diversity, ideological diversity in this country. So what, okay, if you're a betting woman, what do you put Bill de Blasio's chances of, A, entering the governor's race, and B, <laughs> doing well in the governor's race? I mean, every morning I tell myself I want the confidence of a mediocre white man. And that is my mantra. I've got and, the bag and the mug and the T-shirt. So I think the likelihood of him running for governor, if he has a team of people that even remotely care about him, they'll tell him, no, not a good idea. You won't survive on Long Island. Not even, don't even mention upstate, but Long Island. Um, but at the same time, you know, Tish James is a possibility. You have Kathy Hochul, who, even though she's Cuomo's lieutenant governor, has been shoved aside for the last, what, four years, eight years, however long she's been lieutenant governor. Um, and really, it's not a part of any of this stuff that's going on around him. You have Kathleen Rice, the congresswoman from Long Island, who really surprised me when she said she was, the, I think, the first member of the congressional delegation to say Cuomo should resign. And she's wanted to be attorney general for as long as I can remember. So I think running a ticket that way, it's just going to be weird to see what you can get out of everyone. Josefa, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us. And before we let you go, and before we get too far ahead of where things are at now, when there appears to be a certain momentum, but as we saw last year when when Cuomo was, uh, you know, to quote the Beatles, going to be bigger than Jesus, things can change and quickly. Uh, what are the odds that we wake up in 2023 and um, there we are with a fourth term Governor Andrew Cuomo and hopefully the Mario Cuomo Bridge still standing? We'll see. I mean, it's possible. All you need is another distraction and Andrew Cuomo can pivot to that and say, well, you need me now. I know how 
this place functions. So I think right now we're in this strange holding pattern where we have seen uh, other elected officials who have been accused of sexual harassment go down. Um, but I don't know if any of them have the vitriol and willingness to stay alive and above water as Andrew Cuomo does. Um, so I think the next week is going to dictate what the future looks like and whether or not he can survive this, these dueling scandals he's going to be facing. I don't know what the future looks like or how this plays out and it scares the shit out of me because usually, you know, people sort of know how things play out, but Andrew Cuomo is a really weird and fascinating character and you don't know what what he'll he's capable of. Mm. That old political character, Elijah Cuddlestone, was tremendously proud to be a part of the government of the United States. That pride shows through in this excerpt of one of his speeches. And it, and it is my sincere belief, I say, I believe that the United States of America is without doubt, indisputably, the most successful experiment in democracy that is in democratic rule that the world has ever known. Well, democracy, of course, means rule of the people. It's from the Greek demos, people, and kratos, meaning rule, strength, or power. Most forms of government owe their names to the Greek. For instance, anarchy is from the Greek word anarchia, composed of an, meaning no, and archos, ruler. An anarchist wants no king, emperor, or president above him. An oligarchy is a form of government where a restricted few have supreme power. Oligarchy comes from the Greek oligos, meaning few, and archo, which means rule, rule by a few. The Greek word heros meant holy, and the word hierarchy once meant a government by officers of the church. Hierarchy now represents a system of graded authority, and the strange word oclocracy means mob rule. In Greek, oklos means crowd or mob. Words like these literally make politics Greek to most of us. F-A-Q. FAQ NYC is a production of Racket Media and a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists and Artists. We're headquartered at NYU's Midsilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research and recorded this week from the boroughs of Brooklyn and Manhattan. A special thank you to our guest, Josefa Velasquez, senior reporter at The City. Our executive producer is Alex Brooklyn and Adam Kamara mixed and edited this episode. Be safe, be well, wear a mask, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>